Welcome to the Options Save Lives weekly live stream, where we spend an hour each week exploring life-improving topics through a lens of alcohol recovery and the Sinclair Method. Every week, we take on a new question, topic, or common challenge to empower people to either build a better relationship with alcohol or to eliminate it completely. Episodes are filmed live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash c3foundation, and the audience is encouraged to ask questions and engage with the host and guests. The Option Save Lives weekly stream is hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and is produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous sponsors. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Options Save Lives weekly live stream. As always, I'm Jenny Williamson, Executive Director at the C3 Foundation and your host for the next hour. How is everybody today? Uh, we are broadcasting live from the C3 Foundation office here in Fort Myers, Florida. We'd love to know where you guys are watching from. And if you are a first timer to the stream, welcome and uh, let us know in the chat. So this week, we're going to talk about nutrition and its role in relapse and recovery with Christina Veselek. We wanted to talk about this today because eating well or not can have deep impacts or consequences on your recovery efforts. So please, if you have any questions while we're talking or suggestions that have helped you personally, please put those in the chat box so we can keep things interactive. But before we jump in, let me properly introduce our guest for today. Christina Veselak is the founder and director of the Academy for Addiction and Mental Health Nutrition, which teaches practitioners around the world how to use diet along with amino acid and nutrient therapy to help prevent cravings and recurrent use by restoring neurotransmitter function and keeping blood sugar in balance. She has been a licensed psychotherapist working in the substance use disorder treatment field since 1985 and a certified nutritionist specializing in mental health and addiction recovery since 1993. She's maintained a private practice as a psychotherapist and relapse prevention specialist and has always been drawn to working with people experiencing chronic relapse, committed to identifying and helping them overcome the blocks to their recovery. She moved to West Virginia from Colorado in 2019 and currently provides online relapse prevention and recovery coaching and mental health nutrition to a wide variety of clients through her online clinic, Garden Gate Counseling and Consultation. Christina received her BA in philosophy in 1978 from Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, and her MS in counseling psychology from San Francisco State University in 1983. In 1993, she received her designation as a certified nutritionist from the National Institute of Nutrition Education. Christina has consulted for supplement companies, IV amino acid detox programs, and residential treatment programs, helping them integrate this life-saving nutritional approach into their offerings. Christina is also a founding member and former executive director of the Alliance for Addiction Solutions, a nonprofit organization which promotes the use of nutritional and other natural modalities to support repair of the addicted brain. She has recently founded Eating Protein Save Lives, Inc., which has the goal of promoting this life-saving information throughout the country through grassroots messaging and billboards. She's an experienced public speaker and has presented at conferences and trainings around the country and in Iceland. Christina is committed to staying abreast of the rapidly growing science of orthomolecular and nutritional psychiatry and is passionate about sharing her knowledge with both the general public and professionals in the fields of addiction, recovery, and mental health treatment. She believes that the time has come for nutrition to be part of the conversation in mental health and addiction treatment and recovery. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Christina. 
Jenny, thanks so much. It's lovely to be here. So as our audience knows, we always like to start with an easy icebreaker. And I'm not sure how the weather is where you're at, but it's been brutally hot. So we're feeling all summery today. Well, recently, but that's Florida for you. What is your favorite summer activity? I have two. One is gardening and making as many uh, colorful flowers grow as possible in my garden while avoiding the mosquitoes. Oh yes, we've got lots of those here. And playing music in the park with other people. Excellent. Uh, I think one of my favorite summer activities is just trying to find some shade. I mean, in Florida, <laughs> in Florida, we'll park as far away from a building as possible if we can put our, our car underneath a tree. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and jump in. So what is it about the nutritional effect on recovery that is so important to you? You know, Jenny, it's our brain's job to allow us to cope with stress gracefully. Okay, think about that. Isn't that lovely? That whenever stress occurs, whether they be pecky issues or whatever they be, our brain is supposed to step up by producing more neurotransmitters, more chemicals to give us the wherewithal to gracefully throw flow through the problem, solve the problem, come up with solutions, you know, manage ourselves. But to do that, it needs to be fed optimally. The brain actually needs very specific nutrients. And we know what these nutrients are in order to function optimally. The problem is we never, ever, ever talk about this. Yeah. And, and that's, so interesting because as you and I were talking before the broadcast, you know, uh, for the most part, we eat every single day, mm -hmm. but we don't really put a whole lot of thought into it sometimes. Mm -mm. We don't think about the reason we are eating actually bottom line, right? Because we eat because it tastes good. We eat for fun. We eat because we're hungry. And we don't always care about what we're putting in to satisfy that feeling of hunger. We eat to be with other people. We don't eat with the intention of giving our brains and our bodies the nutrients they need to function optimally so that we ourselves can function optimally in our world. And what was it that first got you interested in learning more about how nutrition affects relapse and recovery? There's so many answers to that question, but the bottom line is just seeing in my clients, as well as in myself, how the ones that cared about what they ate, ate um, well consistently, did so much better in therapy and in treatment than the ones that didn't. I began noticing, I began asking the question quite early on, when was the last time you ate protein prior to your craving or prior to your slip or even prior to your domestic violence episode? And amazingly, the answer started being really consistent, Jenny. Not 100%, but way up there is that people had missed at least one if not two or three protein meals prior to whatever the incident was. And this was mind blowing to me because, and to them as well, I remember one client, um, I was working in her third treatment program, which was an IV amino acid detox program She'd been to two previous programs. She was going to three meetings a day. She couldn't stay sober. She was in tears telling me about how a couple weeks earlier, she had gone to a Wayne Dyer lecture and, you know, motivational 
um, speaker and he was talking about recovery and she had the spiritual awakening in the middle of the lecture and committed to every fiber in her being to sobriety. And within three hours, she was drunk. Okay. And she's telling me this in tears because to her, it meant she couldn't trust herself. To her, it meant that nothing ever made sense. And so I said, well, when was the last time you ate protein prior to going out and getting drunk? And she said, well, you know, I had breakfast, but I missed lunch. I said, did you have an afternoon snack? No. Well, what about dinner? She said, well, you know, I was running really late. And so my husband picked me up from work and we dashed off to the concert and I was going to eat after the concert. But by that point, her little the addicted part of her brain had stepped up, the craving was in full force, and I'll explain this process in a few minutes, and she no longer had choice. <clears throat> it didn't matter the spiritual awakening, it didn't matter her commitment to sobriety. When we've missed one or more meals, our prefrontal cortex, our executive functioning, our recovery skills, they all go offline. We don't have access to them anymore. So it didn't matter. It didn't exist anymore. All that existed for her was the craving. And when I connected the dots for her, all of a sudden her tears changed to tears of joy because now it made sense. Now she wasn't a bad, weak, strange person anymore. She just had a hungry brain. And she knew what to do about a hungry brain. But before this conversation, Eating hadn't mattered to her. She would just eat here, there, whatever, you know. It was very haphazard. And therefore, she was plagued by cravings because she had a starving brain. And uh, one of the suggestions that we always give people, especially since the Sinclair method involves taking medication and then drinking, we usually tell people to always eat on a full stomach anyway, never drink on a, an empty stomach. But now we've been doing it for, for two very different reasons than what you're talking about. Uh, we usually do it because a full, a full stomach is going to slow down the distribution of alcohol into the bloodstream. And also, if you have food in your stomach, it's going to help mitigate side effects from medication. But you've got you're speaking of this as a third really great reason so talk a little bit more about how that protein and how that that meal and the nutrients in your system help to to that decision making process once a person has started drinking well I don't know so much about once the person starts drinking, <clears throat> but when they are making the decision as to whether or not to drink and to drink, you know, in a non-scheduled way, um, this, this is where it really, really comes into play because what we have found is, so, you know, Blood sugar is supposed to remain more or less stable during the day. And some people have normal blood sugar regulations. So even if you eat a you know higher carb meal or you go a little longer without food, your body can kick in and cope and everything's fine. But the research that we've done show, so far shows that people who have issues with alcohol or other substances are a very high risk for something called reactive hypoglycemia. And when we have reactive hypoglycemia, two things happen. One is if we go too long without food, blood sugar can drop very, very low. Or if we eat a higher sugar meal, blood sugar will spike very quickly up to diabetic levels. It's actually considered a pre-diabetic condition and then plummet to very, very low levels. Well, the brain doesn't like anything either going too high or too low, right? So it gets sort of frantic. And when blood sugar drops too low, adrenaline kicks in. Now, two things happen in the, in the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex of the brain is where our executive functioning is, okay? Where we think, 
we plan, we think through consequences, we make promises and hold to our promises, like this lady who'd promised to never ever drink again, right? All of that's here in this prefrontal cortex. This is where we operate, utilize willpower. Well, it turns out that when blood sugar drops, willpower goes out of the window. We lose the ability to say no to things we otherwise maybe would, whether it be cigarettes or sugar or, 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 okay? We lose that. But then when adrenaline kicks in, adrenaline destabilizes us. Adrenaline makes us want to reach for something to feel better, right? Um, adrenaline also puts the prefrontal cortex offline. It goes, bye-bye, I'm on vacation. And so just like this lady after um, the lecture, she no longer had access to her promises. She no longer had access to the ability to actually go eat rather than go drink. And so she just went and drank. Um, whereas if she'd either eaten before the concert or taken the amino acid L-glutamine to feed the prefrontal cortex, she would have said, oh, yeah, part of me wants to go drink, but you know what? I really don't want to go drink. Or, you know, you can put in whatever word you want to there. You know, eat sugar, use pornography, gamble, use cocaine, smoke a cigarette, right? You name it. Um, you just fill in the blank. And so it really, really matters that we eat protein because protein gets digested slowly. We eat it every four, three to four hours to keep our blood sugar absolutely stable. We eat real food around it, right? I'm not wanting to make everybody a carnivore. Lots of different ways to get protein, but we're recommending 15 to 20 grams of protein every four hours. Um, and this can transform people's emotional well being. So, this isn't just about whether or not you reach for your substance of choice. This is also about not feeling tired and shaky, not being reactive, not getting angry, not having panic attacks. I had one client walk in, sit down at my couch, look at me and say, you're number eight. I said, really? Eight? Eight what? And she said, well, I've had twice daily panic attacks for 10 years. 10 years. I went to four psychiatrists who put me on medication that just made me feel weird and doped up and didn't help the panic attacks. I went to three psychotherapists who helped me realize that I wasn't going to die from the panic attack, but I didn't stop them. So you're number eight. It was like, well, I'm so glad you didn't give up. What time of day are your panic attacks? Well, upon arising and around four or five o'clock in the afternoon, I said, well, your morning one does it go away when you eat breakfast? Yeah, come to think about it, it, it does. <clears throat> well, do you eat lunch? No, I'm usually too busy working through lunch. Maybe I'll grab some potato chips or something. Do you have a mid-afternoon snack? No. Okay, I said, here's the issue. This is all low blood sugar. Your adrenaline, you're hungry. Your adrenaline's kicking in and giving you a panic attack first thing in the morning and late afternoon. And so I actually gave her a protein shake in my office because it was three o'clock in the afternoon. She hadn't eaten since breakfast. So she was ready for her next panic attack. And um, we talked about this. I told her what I wanted to, her to do, set the appointment for the following week. She calls me five days later, cancels the appointment, says, thank you so much. I have not had one panic attack for the first time in 10 years since walking out of your office. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. 
yeah, it's like remarkable. <clears throat> I also, I used to sub for a male domestic violence group and I would give them this lecture about blood sugar control and I challenged them. I'd say, okay, for a week, I want you to stop eating your, drinking your Mountain Dew and having Captain Crunch for breakfast. I want you to eat protein every four hours and report back to the group next week what you notice. Well, these big, burly, tattooed ex-cons would stop me in the hallway, Jenny, with tears in their eyes and say, why didn't anybody ever tell me this before? They said, my anger outburst completely went away. I didn't feel stressed. I was able to cope. I was able to deal with my wife and deal with my children without screaming at them. I was okay all week. This is the power of keeping blood sugar stable. And that's only half of it. Yeah, that, that is really powerful. Before we go into the other half of it, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned not trying to turn everybody into carnivores. So there is a little bit in, in some people's minds of a misconception that protein only comes from animal meat. So can you talk a little bit more about and dispel some of the myths that you've heard around protein? And then I'll let you go into that other half. Okay, I will. <clears throat> However, it is actually easier to get the amount of protein you need and the specific amino acids you need with at least some animal protein. Because some of the amino acids we need that I'll talk about in a minute, such as O-tyrosine, it's kind of hard to find that in your grains and your beans. They don't exist, it's just a whole lot less. But that said, you know, protein is the name we give to clumps of amino acids. And amino acids are found in all foods, more or less. Um, we can find them, um, you know, like there may be one gram in like different vegetables and things, but we can have four or five grams in nuts, in um, seeds, in your whole grains, in your, um, you know, especially have the germ in it in your beans, um, you know, soy, some people have to be careful with soy, but soy. <clears throat> so there are certainly ways to get it there. You just have to really focus on making sure you're getting a wide variety of your amino acids and enough in if you're going vegan or vegetarian, but then you have all your milk products, you have all your seafoods, um, some people love seafood, other people don't, but you have all of it from whether it be octopus, you know, if you're Greek or whatever, to, um, to crab, to sardines, to, you know, all your fishes, then we have eggs. Um, in terms of your milk products, you've got milk, yogurt, cheese, these are all cottage cheese, there's in half a cup of cottage cheese, you've got something like 20 grams of protein. Okay, and then your all your meats and all your fishes. A piece of meat or fish, approximately the size of your palm, is approximately 20 grams of protein. One egg is seven grams of protein. Glass of eight ounces of milk is eight ounces of protein. You know, so um, you just have to mix and match throughout your day. As I said, we recommend 15 to 20 grams every four hours. Now, if you are premenstrual, what a lot of people don't realize, Jenny, is that women, when we relapse, um, we relapse premenstrually. Now, when we get arrested, we also tend to get arrested premenstrually. That's another story. <laughs> okay, but we have more cravings and more emotional discomfort premenstrually, right? We all know this. And it translates, I had one client who um, had gone to a couple of different treatment programs, could not stop drinking, was sent to me and you know her eating was way off. So we got her eating in order. We got her on the amino acids, which I'll talk about in a minute. And she was doing great, except it turned out she was still periodically getting drunk. 
When we tracked it on the calendar, it turned out she was getting drunk the night before her bleeding started every single month. Not two days before, not two days later, the night before. Patterns like that are pretty significant. They're huge. And we need to start looking at our own personal patterns. And so knowing that, she um, kind of doubled up on her food on that final day of her cycle, brought in some extra amino acid 5-HTP, got herself some extra support, and was now copacetic. Wow, that is, that is awesome. Because it, it's funny, when you're not paying attention to other patterns in your life, whether they are your sleep patterns, your your nutritional patterns, how much water you're consuming, uh, and what is really happening on a larger scale, exactly. it's very difficult to make any kind of changes because you're not seeing exactly where the problem is. Right. And so over drinking is needs to be understood in context. So your method um, kind of to really simplify it, desensitizes the brain's, you know, response to alcohol. Okay. Um, so that alcohol no longer does what was attractive before. Um, but unless other things change, you've still got imbalance most likely in your life and in your brain. Exactly. Right? That's why we, we tell people that they have to work in partnership with the process, because if you're not, if you're not an active partner with the Sinclair method, then you may actually be working against yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what we're talking about today is other ways in which you can partner with yourself and with the method to um, because, you know, I really make a distinction, Jenny, between abstinence and recovery. Abstinence is just not using the substance. But then very often we switch to other substances. Um, recovery is about changing our whole way of being in the world to improve our satisfaction, improve our joy, improve our coping skills, improve our relationships, improve everything. Yeah, and, and that, is, that is exactly why this year's theme for our upcoming conference in a couple of weeks is redefining recovery because we feel exactly the same way. Oh no, did you freeze? I think and it oh there you are sorry you froze for a moment so did you so oh. i'm not sure which one of us it was but uh, it says my internet connection is unstable oh. so oops. um but this brings us to the second part the other thing protein does for us other than keep our blood sugar stable is these amino acids that we find in protein foods are actually the precursor to our brain mood mediating neurotransmitters. So we have four mood mediating neurotransmitter systems in the brain. We've got others as well, but the ones that really matter to um, uh, substance use disorders is the catecholamines, which includes dopamine, norepinephrine and adrenaline actually serotonin, and serotonin includes melatonin, so it impacts sleep. The endorphins, and your, your process actually works on the endorphin system. And then um, GABA. Now, these different neurotransmitter systems, when they're functioning well, well-fed, <clears throat> give us like dopamine, and the catecholamine system gives us get up and go, energy and drive. Serotonin allows us to flow with stress and be mellow and relaxed and not, right? <clears throat> um, and also allows us to sleep. GABA allows us to physically relax. 
and the endorphins allow us to feel comfort, connection, and have physical and emotional pain relief. Now, alcohol fires all of these different neurotransmitters. So sometimes people drink for get up and go energy and drive. Sometimes people drink to fire GABA and serotonin so that they, they can relax and sleep or deal with stress more effectively. And sometimes people drink to fire the endorphins and um, feel comfort. So we actually need to be supporting all of the neurotransmitters so that we no longer have a need to reach for a substance or a behavior to fire that neurotransmitter. Cause you see in the process of firing it, it also depletes it more, right? This is where the stages of addiction come in and increase tolerance where at first you only need a little bit, but then you need more and you need more and you need more until it's taken over your whole entire life. Okay, that's because the neurotransmitters are getting progressively eaten up. They get eaten up. It's like you keep using your ATM card and you're drawing out money, but you're not replacing it. Well, sooner or later, you get overdrawn. Well, when our brain gets overdrawn, we need more and more and more drug to get the same effect. And we have symptoms. We're depressed, we're anxious, we have insomnia, we're irritable, we're, you know, all sorts of not so nice things. And that's really uncomfortable. So we use protein to, in the presence of vitamins and minerals from our fruits and veggies to rebuild these neurotransmitter systems. Medication just tweaks it. You see, it doesn't rebuild them. It just kind of changes the way the brain deals with them. Well, the amino acids from food actually rebuild the neurotransmitter systems, put money back in the bank. So you can get this from protein food, but you can also go to your local vitamin store or Amazon and order the specific amino acids you need. And they start working within 20 minutes to rebuild your neurotransmitter systems. Wow, that, I can that actually, 20 minutes is, that, 20 minutes. that is lightning fast. It's lightning fast. I can turn off a craving in 20 minutes. I can turn off a panic attack in 20 minutes. I can get people focused on the job they're supposed to do rather than feeling overwhelmed and wanting to run away and procrastinate, like me and my bookkeeper, um, within 20 minutes. So how would someone know which amino acid they are deficient in? So um, we have a tool called the amino acid therapy chart, and it was created by a number of people several decades ago, Julia Ross being one of them. She wrote a book called The Mood Cure, and you can learn all about this in that book. But this chart is what we use to assess for neurotransmitter deficiency. Because you see, the research has already been done, Jenny. We know exactly what the deficiency symptoms are. So all we do is ask people, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, how much obsessive worry do you have? How anxious are you? How perfectionistic are you and controlling? You know, how tired are you? How's your concentration of focus? You know, how much muscle tension do you have in your back and shoulders? We ask all these questions. And um, depending upon people's scores, it just tells us 80% of the time, 80% of the time using this chart to dose amino acids is accurate. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, so, you know, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, because that that's like it's a game changer yeah it, it's it's very impressive information um especially since this information is already out there it's been um, out here, there for 30 years and you know so 
how do and and maybe maybe you can't answer this maybe you can but uh, like last week we had somebody on who was talking about how trauma affects addiction and yet i'm listening to you and my question my brain keeps going to so it sounds like as though everything you're talking about of what these amino acids allow your brain to be better capable of doing on a right now functional level mm -hmm. that this would also allow somebody to be better capable of dealing with any past traumas and triggers as well that are uh, going in that are feeding into their addiction is this something you can expand on well, you see, exactly. So if you look at this, right, what's the missing link? Well, we call it the third leg of the stool. So we know that addiction is biochemical, driven by the brain, driven by imbalances in the brain, and psychosocial, and spiritual, however you'd want to define spiritual, okay? But traditional treatment tends to ignore the brain. Now you guys don't, but you still have a very sort of limited approach to the brain. Um, <clears throat> tends to ignore the brain and focuses on the psychosocial and spiritual. Well, that's wonderful. They need to be focused on trauma certainly matters. Lack of community certainly matters. People need to be working on their trauma, calming down their nervous system, getting connected, have community. Um, reducing shame, building life skills, you know, getting a deeper sense of purpose, letting go of sort of having to control everything in your life. These are all crucial to recovery. However, none of that can happen if your brain's offline. This is the control center. This is where we access skills, where we learn skills, where we have our cognitions where we are able to sleep or you know get to meetings or get to therapy or 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 right it's all mediated through up here so if this is starving and offline we have a much harder time doing the other work of recovery because because our brain is what allows us to do it and if it's gone on vacation or is in bed because it's too hungry, we can't do the doing of the rest of recovery. And we actually have uh, more than just a handful of the Sinclair Method providers that are listed on our website actually do combine nutritional uh, information and fish oil and other nutrients. Yes. Um, alongside the Sinclair method, which is one of the things that I love about the Sinclair method is yes, it's, it's narrow in its individual scope, but it is so easily integrated with all of the other pieces, um, which is one of the things that enthuses me about it personally. Um, it looks like you are frozen again for a moment. I'm not sure if you can hear me here. Um, okay, you're you're back. okay, you're back. Okay, you're back. So we have a dedicated peer group that is specifically for people who are supporting loved ones on the Sinclair method. And one of the most common questions we get is how they can be better supporters. So can you talk a little bit about how support system people, spouses, girlfriends, boyfriends, um, parents can help their loved ones by using something so simple as meal planning and a concentration on nutrition? Yes. So the very first thing I want to say to all family members is take care of yourself first. You know, like, the well-worn saying about the stewardess who says, you know, put the gas mask on you first. So that, because empty wells cannot nurture anybody. 
And so this means first taking care of your own nutrition, feeding yourself so you're functioning optimally, taking the amino acids you need to deal with your stress, because then you're gonna be so much more effective in helping your family members. <clears throat> and then making sure that if you're the one who does the cooking or the shopping, that the right food is in the house, that it's easily available, that the veggies are there all cut up and ready to eat, that there are high protein snacks easily available, that you know there's protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that there's always something available. And then if you start getting worried about somebody's behavior, feed them first. Feed them first. Here, have a mozzarella cheese stick. Have a hard-boiled egg. Have a whatever. And you'll notice that um, life gets so much more calm and easy when everybody's brains are well-fed. And, and honestly, you know, for the audience out there, you know, you hear Claudia and I say this a lot, self-care is important. Self-care is critical. And, and this real nutrition really falls under self-care, like it's, squarely under self-care. Well, it really does, Jenny. And here's where the other two legs of the stool come in, you know, the psychosocial and the spiritual, because so many of us have been taught to put ourselves last. So many of us have issues around feeding ourselves or around eating because of family trauma around food or bad messages around food growing up. But feeding ourselves appropriately is the primary self-care thing we can do. But sometimes we need some support around getting over those humps. There can be emotional blocks in the way. There can be um, spiritual blocks in the way. Oh, I'm not supposed to take care of myself first. I'm supposed to take care of everybody else first. Well, no, we're supposed to love each other as we love ourselves. So we do actually get to love ourselves, okay? <clears throat> um, sometimes there are the logistical blocks. I'm a nurse and I have 10 hour shifts and I don't actually get my breaks even though I'm supposed to. How do I get that protein in me every four hours? And so we sometimes have to troubleshoot these things, but by making it a priority, as you said right at the beginning of the conversation, making food, um, eating properly in an intentional act, then step by step by step, we can identify and overcome the barriers. And to be intentional, you have to employ a little bit of strategy. So what are some good strategic things that a person can do to make sure that they're eating properly? Um, there are some decent protein shakes out there. I happen to like Orgain because it's organic and some people like it and it has fruits and veggies in it, okay? So whatever your favorite uh, protein shake is, actually having some on hand for emergencies, I don't think you should be living on them, but you can certainly grab one as you're dashing out the door, right? Um, making sure that you've identified for yourself what your favorite protein sources are, whatever they may be. So I'm allergic to eggs, so I love eggs, but um, they don't necessarily love me. They actually make me depressed. So I can't depend on eggs. Other people can depend on eggs. So having hard boiled eggs, having scrambled eggs for breakfast in the morning, those sorts of things are very easy. Eggs are very portable. Um, egg salad is very portable. Tuna salad is very portable. Um, people who can tolerate milk, having mozzarella cheese sticks or sliced cheese, pre-made, pre-sliced in the refrigerator. Buying the little bags of already um, cut up celery um, and carrots having unsweetened peanut butter so that you can dip your celery and carrots mm -hmm. into your unsweetened peanut butter. Mm -hmm. um, I keep, I love baby shrimp, keeping them in the freezer. I'm also one of these odd people that 
like smoked oysters. So I have a couple of cans of smoked oysters. All I need to do is dump it on a bed of lettuce and have some um, whole, I have to be gluten-free, some gluten-free crackers. And I have a high protein, good for me, lunch or snack. I've been known to have that for breakfast too. Um, I had, we had um, sort of uh, ground beef patties last night for dinner. And I had, I left half of mine over. And so I had half of the patty for breakfast with a few other things. So, but that was my protein source. It was probably about 15 grams of protein there. So leftover dinner, um, just making sure that it's there and that it's easy. Whatever for you is easy. Yeah, I mean, I know I like to, I, I love to throw pine nuts and um, pumpkin seeds onto a salad just because and uh, try to keep a kind bar. And they now have the protein kind bars. I try to keep one of those in my desk drawer <laughs> at all times. Exactly. Making sure it's high protein. Um, but putting hemp seeds on everything, if you're more on the vegan side of things, increases your protein intake as well. Having a good protein powder that you can mix in things. A lot of people like oatmeal for breakfast. Well, put a scoop of protein powder, you usually can't taste it, in your oatmeal in the morning, right? That increases its protein content. And one of our audience members says, this explains why I feel so much better after a bacon sandwich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yummy. I mean, bacon makes everything better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I know we've we've discussed this, but if you had to to narrow it down, because we're we we've got probably about seven or eight minutes left. What are the top benefits that people get from making the effort to focus more on their nutrition and making sure it's balanced and making sure they're, they're getting enough protein uh, into mm -hmm. their diet? Um, more stable mood, more energy, more ability to focus and concentrate and get things done, generally feeling better, sleeping better. So what a lot of people will wake up in the middle of the night, like wide awake, maybe even shaking or sweating or, you know, um, like when they wake up, um, this is due to adrenaline from low blood sugar. Or they may not wake up quite so abruptly, but they wake up and then they can't get back to sleep exactly. They're sort of tossing, they're turning and they're restless. This is low blood sugar. So either having a um, before bed snack, there's some other nutrients you can take to kind of support blood sugar regulation. That's, a, that's another talk. Um, or eating something when you wake up in the middle of the night. For some people, this is counterintuitive, but it helps so many people get back to sleep and stay asleep. A small banana. I will have a small banana or half a banana with a handful of walnuts. Um, sometimes I'll, I'm not using milk products right now, but when I was, I would have a plain yogurt with some unsweetened applesauce by my bed. So if I needed it in the middle of the night, um, it would be right there for me. Some people, if they eat early and go to bed late, have trouble getting to sleep because blood sugar has dropped and adrenaline has kicked in. So keeping blood sugar stable this way also helps with sleep. Getting the protein into your brain with the vitamins and minerals, having these neurotransmitters be happy means that you're happy. You're able to flow with stress more effectively. And the wonderful thing about amino acids is that you can take them in a protocol to rebuild your neurotransmitter systems, you know, like. Oh, you just froze again. All right, we'll give Christina a moment to unfreeze and come back. Scheduling, putting money in your bank. Oh, you, you froze again after uh, 
after rebuilding your, your transmitter systems? Okay. Well, so rebuilding your neurotransmitter systems just allows you to cope with stress. And you can use amino acids in the moment because they work within 20 minutes. So you can take them um, as a protocol scheduled, but you can also take them as needed. So right before uh, getting on with you this morning, Jenny, I was feeling tired. I'm recovering from COVID. So my stamina is still a little low. And so I took some tyrosine to support my dopamine so that I would be clear and my brain would be working right for you and your audience. And it made a difference. I felt, I felt it. I it's felt my fast. brain. You couldn't do that for the connection, for the internet connection. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of a rainstorm right now in the boonies of West Virginia. And that does unfortunately impact my connection. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to deal with that a few years ago, uh, down here before we, uh, we upgraded and, and, and got on a plug it directly into the computer type of system. Oh, I am plugged directly into the computer. I am wired. Ah, you know, sometimes it goes beyond that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this, this has really been fascinating to me anyway. Um, I'd love to hear from audience. I know you're out there. I can see you. I can, I can look in. I can see there is a bunch, there are a bunch of you in the chat, uh, along with, um, almost just as many that are watching from other directions, not in the chat. I would love to hear from you guys. Um, you know, any questions you guys have, you know, we still have two or three more minutes. Uh, any questions, please put those into the chat box and, and join in on the conversation. Uh, I mean, cause as you were talking, I was like, yeah, I have, I personally have one of those issues where it's like, yeah, usually between three thirty and four thirty every morning. I am wide awake. Yeah. So try eating and report back to your, you know, audience what changes for yeah. you. Yeah. By the um, way, Jenny, I also teach this to professionals and anybody else who wants to learn. I have an online program and we're starting again in just a couple of days where I make you experts at amino acid and nutrient therapy. Wow. <laughs> well, I will definitely, uh, if you go ahead and send me that information, I'll include it on the website uh, and put it up underneath the video under our resources. Uh, and I'm happy to put any any resources uh, up as well. So, uh, because yeah, sleep is one of those things that you know, so many people have issues with sleep, especially at the beginning of recovery. Well, and that's because very specific neurotransmitters are depleted. <clears throat> so if GABA is low, we will have trouble sleeping because we can't physically relax into sleep. Our muscles are tight and we're restless and right. And so taking some GABA um, can help us physically relax. Taking some theanine helps turn off adrenaline and cortisol if we've like gotten activated right before bed. And it changes our brain waves so we can just go. <sighs> I actually take theanine every night before bed to help me sleep more deeply. Um, some people have trouble sleeping because of low serotonin and alcohol use dramatically depletes serotonin levels. Um, if you're on an SSRI, you have to be careful with this. But if you're not, you can just go buy some tryptophan or 5-HTP and it both tells your brain that it's time to go to sleep, but it also relaxes this anxious, ruminating worry that keeps us awake. Like, what does somebody think about me today? Did I do it right? What's going to happen in the dog interview, you know, in the job interview tomorrow? How are my kids? Oh my goodness, they're not home yet, right? All of that stuff that can keep us awake at night. Well, that's all low serotonin. And we can turn that off with either 5-HTP or tryptophan within 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah, we have somebody in the audience that says, I wake around five, I have breakfast, and then I go back to bed for a couple of hours, and it has made a difference. 
Exactly. And then I, we have someone else who says, as a retired health educational professional, education professional, I have so appreciated having you here today. So um, well, thank you. So, yes, uh, our audience is finding you as, uh, you know, this subject is fascinating. I mean, as soon as you and I talked on the phone about scheduling this, I was I, I was very enthusiastic about and excited about having you on the show. Uh, I'm glad, audience, that you feel the same. Be I, because, again, as I said earlier, we eat every day, but how much thought do we really put into it? Exactly. And being intentional does make a difference. You know, whether that's, you know, food planning, you know, make list it out for the week make it as easy like i love having the easy snacks well yeah and by by the way jenny my website eatingproteinsaveslives.org okay eatingproteinsaveslives.org if you donate anything to it you get free acts well you get access to our um resource library which has lots of ideas about how to get the protein in you every four hours. And there's a lot more information on that site about everything I've talked about today. So well, eating I will make sure that, that, is, uh, that that's listed on the resources as well. And we have another audience member who says, I often have a cheese snack before bed and then I don't wake up in the middle of the night. Well, I Bingo. guess I know what I'm doing with the baby bells in my uh, refrigerator. <laughs> I'm going to have one of those tonight and see if it works. There, there you go. All right. Well, it looks like we are just about out of time. Audience, you guys have been wonderful as always. Thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. And I'd love to hear what advice you're taking from today. So go ahead and put that in the chat. And please join me in thanking our wonderful guest, Christina Veselik. Any last words for the audience before we end the show? More power to you. <laughs> All right, audience, let's go ahead and fill that chat area with some gratitude. This, I, I hope you guys have really enjoyed this as much as I have. Um, if you guys came in late or if you want to share or watch the stream again, we're going to have today's video up on YouTube, Vimeo, Anchor, and Spotify, hopefully by the end of the day. I'm having some technical issues with our website, uh, not wanting to save anything today. So... Don't look for it on our website until next week, but I should have that up for you by Tuesday. And it's hard to believe, but this is the 26th and final episode of season two of the Option Save Lives weekly live stream. So I, I just want to thank our, all our sponsors from throughout the season and to our Street Institute for being our presenting sponsor for season two. Uh, I'm going to be spending the next two weeks preparing for our conference that starts on June 10th. So you will not see me next week uh, as planned, but uh, keep an eye out throughout the week. I will probably be uh, putting some of last year's conference online randomly throughout the day as I have time. Um, if you guys have found value in this broadcast, we hope you'll hit the donate <coughs> button in our profile or head over to our website to make a donation at c3foundation.org slash donate. You can also follow our channel to get broadcast alerts, subscribe to our channel to go ad free and get some bonus emoji. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can subscribe for free. And we will be doing random replays and chatting along from all of our videos throughout the summer. So as we have time, uh, we will be online and we will be returning for season three in the fall. If you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic for next season, we do have a Google link, uh, a Google form that'll drop in the chat. And you can find the link on our main schedule page on the website. If you're on the C3 or if you're on the Sinclair method and looking for more peer support or just to join the C3 Foundation community, we have you covered with groups on Facebook, Discord, and the Option Save Lives forum. That is it for today and for the season. So have a wonderful weekend. Be gentle with yourself and with others. Bye, everybody.
You've been watching the Options Save Lives weekly live stream, hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and produced by the C3 Foundation, with the support of R Street Institute and other generous supporters. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. If you have a question you want answered live on air, to make guest suggestions, or to support the show, let us know. You can reach us through our website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or on Discord. Join us each week as we continue to discuss more ways to help you build a better relationship with alcohol, or to eliminate it completely. Because recovery from alcohol use disorder is not a one-size-fits-all process. Options are available. And options save lives.